I came across uh, an old news article this week that uh, reported how in August of 1991, uh, this section of a four-story apartment complex suddenly tilted a few feet in one direction. Interior walls began to buckle and even one of the bathtubs on the fourth floor fell down into the third floor below it. Fortunately, the 28 families that lived in the building were able to evacuate before its total collapse that happened in the not-too-near future. After investigation, it was discovered that a sewer line had leaked water for quite some time under that section of the building that first started to shift. Normally, that kind of thing wouldn't have brought this whole apartment complex building uh, to collapse. But the investigation also revealed that the section of that building that first shifted had been built on loose soil rather than the bedrock, as is the accepted practice in that area. The location of this apartment complex was in a town called Talpiat, a suburb of Jerusalem, Israel. If the construction engineers would have just read Jesus' final appeal in his Sermon on the Mount, right, right, it, it, it applies very much to where they were building this, they would have saved their company a lot of headache and money, and it would have still be standing today. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is appealing as he comes to the close of his Sermon on the Mount for true discipleship, that those listening wouldn't just be his admirers, but his followers, that they would not just hear his words, but put them into practice. He then punctuates this appeal with a parable where he says that those who do this will be like a wise builder who builds on the rock. And those who don't are like a foolish builder who builds them on the sand. If you have your Bibles with you or on your tablet or phone, whatever format you have it, because we, we don't have the screen today, will you go with me to Matthew chapter 7, the very last part starting in verse 24, and let's read that parable together. It could be very, very familiar to you, but let's read it uh, once more together. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, and, and pray for me that I can get through the message today. Maybe you're praying that I won't, and my voice will go out. I don't know, but, uh, but hopefully my voice holds up. I got some cough drops in my pocket just in case. Let's read starting in verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Love that children's story today, by the way, Greg, that gave us, brought this lesson home. But anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Pretty simple, straightforward message, right? I, I mean, we, we could probably just end the sermon there. I know that my voice would be grateful for that and go home. 
We even have a children's song that many of us learned at a young age to to remind us, the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? Now that song's going to be stuck in your head, the rest of the, the message, just like it has been stuck in my head all week as I've been thinking about this passage and studying it. But I think if you just feel like glossing over this story because it's so simple. We knew it as kids. We got, a, we got a song about it for crying out loud. It's such a simple, straightforward message. And yes, it is. But this story deserves a closer look. It deserves our attention because packed in this little parable are some profound lessons on what Jesus is getting at when he says, put my words into practice. Like, for example, Jesus says, put my words into practice, and he uses this parable. He's talking about digging deep, living a life that digs deep. I can remember when I was a kid, and we would sing this song in Sabbath school, I would imagine the builder who was wise building their house, this great big house for some reason. It was like his was bigger than the other guys for some reason. And it was on top of a mountain, you know, where this really solid rock was, was exposed on the mountain. And then I would picture the foolish builder like right next to the beach, like the, the ocean. And, and they, he was just building this like shack haphazardly right there on top of the sand. But as I have learned In that part of the world, in the region of Israel and Palestine, the sand everywhere is actually really, really hard. And it can be tempting to think that building a house anywhere could be sturdy. In fact, people commonly build in the summer months in that part of the world, even today, because the rains come in the winter and the ridge on which Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Hebron sit occasionally have snow. Nobody wants to build a stone house in winter. Summer provides the dry, warm days suitable for such an activity, for building houses. But the downside to building in the summer is that the soil with its high clay content content gets especially hard. It's easy then to imagine a a first century builder in the summertime with little wisdom thinking he can build an adequate, simple, one-level house for his family on hard clay. I mean, even those modern-day builders of that small apartment complex we talked about in the beginning, that's a true story uh, of our, our beginning illustration, made that very mistake but especially someone building a family home in the time of Jesus could have easily thought, my home is going to be small. The walls will not be more than seven feet high. And besides, it is hot. I'm not sure I want to be out on these long days doing this back-breaking work in the scorching sun. So he opts to build his simple one- or two-room home on the hardened clay. But then the winter comes, and with it, the wind And the rain and that hardened clay that seemed so firm starts to soften and the house collapses. The prudent, hardworking, wise builder, however, knows better. They would know that in that part of the world, solid rock lies everywhere beneath the soil. If you're on a mountaintop, you may find it just below the surface or even exposed. But if you are building in the valley where I would imagine most of Jesus' listeners would have lived, then sometimes you have to dig 10 or more feet to get to the bedrock below. You know, they are developing the land behind uh, where we live over there between Cherry Valley Boulevard and, and Singleton Road. 
And they have been at it for months with all kinds of tractors and backhoes. And it has taken them forever to excavate and get that land prepared. They haven't even started laying any foundations yet. And they got all this big modern equipment. Can you imagine having to dig 10 feet down during the hot summer months in the Middle East with tools from the first century? It would cost you enormous amounts of energy and effort. And this is what Jesus says putting his words into practice is like? I wonder sometimes if I have lost the real essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, last week we talked about how Jesus says his way is easy and his burden is light, which is absolutely true. Following Jesus gives us joy and peace helps with our anxieties and fears. Following Jesus is not a burden, 100%, but following Jesus is also not convenient. You know what I discovered is kind of convenient? Membership. Have you ever pulled out your wallet recently and looked at all the cards that are in here, the membership cards, and how convenient it is to be a member of something? like Sam's Club, which has a small fee, but you know, you, you get that back, right? After you spend a lot there. And, and Costco, I'm also a member of Costco. I don't know why I'm a member of Costco and Sam's Club. You would think one is enough. And then I'm embarrassed to tell you how many credit cards are next in this wallet. I've got lots of airline credit cards. I got a couple of them because every time we want to travel someplace far, we, we seem to sign up for another one to get all those free miles, you know, and it's really easy to sign up, become a member. They just need your name and a few details about where you live and your, and your email. Most of them don't even have an annual fee anymore. Probably the credit card that gets used the most, though, is this one, Amazon Prime, because we are also Amazon Prime members, which does cost a little money, but, you know, you make up for it with all the packages and free shipping, right? And by the way, you can get 5% back on any Amazon purchases where you have an Amazon card, so that's why we are members of the Amazon Visa card. I've got an Ace Rewards card here. I've also got a, a Home Depot one. I've got, a, of course, a, a few golf memberships, Top Golf, Golf Play that are on here. I've even got uh, the Spot Club for when I go to the airport and have to park my car. I get rewards for parking in that place. And then there's more in my wallet, but I won't bore you with them. I, I pulled out my keys, too, and I have, I have membership on my keys. I am part of the IKEA family. Are you a member of the IKEA family? Did you know that you can get free coffee when you go to Ikea if you are a member. It doesn't cost you anything, and the, the chocolate cake there is amazing. I haven't been to Ikea in like three years, but I, I am still a member. The Riverside County Public Library, we use that a lot. That gets used very well. It's also free. Loma Linda University Drayson Center, I should use that more. It does cost something to be a member there, but my wife works for Loma Linda University Children's Hospital, so it's free for me. You'd think I would take advantage, but I haven't. And then, of course, you know, I, I have less cards and things on my key ring now because we've got these, right? Amen. Have you opened your phone and see how many things you subscribe for or how many things you're a member of on here? Countless things that I have just, with a click of a button, given my name or a few details, my number, my email, maybe a nominal fee. Membership, I have discovered, is convenient. 
But discipleship is costly. Now, don't get me wrong, family. I love and am so thankful for all of you who are members here at Cala Mesa Church. I hope our membership grows. And if you are here today and you're not a member, please know the invitation is always there for you to be a member of this church. And membership should lead to discipleship. The two should go hand in hand. But if I'm honest, sometimes I settle just for membership because membership is convenient and discipleship is costly. Discipleship is costly because when you are slapped on one of your cheeks, you offer the other. Discipleship is costly because when someone wants to take your shirt, you give them their coat, your coat as well. Discipleship is costly because when someone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two. Discipleship is costly because you give to the poor in secret, spending time in prayer and fasting without needing any recognition or reward. Discipleship is costly because you pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Discipleship is costly because the ways of the world are superficial and shallow, but the ways of Jesus are deep and full of meaning. And when you try to live a deep life in a shallow world, it will cost you. No wonder Jesus says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Membership? That's convenient. Discipleship is costly. That's what this powerful little parable tells us. I think it also tells us that discipleship takes time, that it is a process. I mean, to be this kind of wise builder that digs deep into the bedrock below, that's going to require a fair amount of time and patience. It won't happen overnight. The same is true for your walk with the Lord. I wonder if some of us here are feeling discouraged or frustrated even, like we aren't as far along as we'd like to be in our walk with Jesus. We're doing our best by God's grace to put his words into practice, but, but maybe we've been stumbling and, and there's so much further that we, that we want to get to. Or maybe you're frustrated because it feels like you've been working so hard and so well for God, but you haven't seen much fruit You've been faithful in your prayers and, 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 and reaching out, but it seems like there isn't much fruit. God seems to be moving too slow, not working things out fast enough. If you're feeling that way this morning, I want to remind you that discipleship is a process. Jesus reminds us of that when he talks about, in John 15, how he is the vine and we are the branches. Abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But he says, I'm also going to prune you. The heavenly gardener is going to cut back and snip things that need to be worked on. And, and that pruning process takes time. So even though it may not seem like God is working or that you are growing, he is and you are. Just be patient. Maybe you have heard of this famous fable about a man who was asleep one night in his cabin when suddenly his room is filled with light and and there's Jesus appearing before him the Lord told him he had work for him to do and showed him a large rock explaining that he was to push against the rock with all his might this man did and for many days he toiled from sunup to sundown 
his shoulder set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the rock, pushing with all his might. Each night, the man returned to his cabin, sore and worn out, feeling his whole day had been spent in vain. Seeing that the man showed signs of discouragement, Satan decided to enter the picture, placing thoughts in the man's mind such as, why kill yourself over this? You're never going to move it. You've been at it a long time. You haven't even scratched the surface. Giving the man the impression that the task was impossible and he was unworthy as a servant because he couldn't move the stone at all. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man and he started to ease up his efforts. Why kill myself, he thought. I'll just put in my time putting forth the minimum effort and that will be good enough. And he did this, or at least planned to do it, until one day he came to his senses and went back to the Lord and said, Lord, I have labored hard and long in your service, putting forth all my strength to do what you have asked of me. Yet after all this time, I have not even budged that rock an inch. What is wrong? Why am I failing? To this, the Lord responded compassionately. My child, when long ago I asked you to serve me and you accepted I told you to push against the rock with all your strength, and that you have done. But never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it, at least not by yourself. Your task was to push. And now you come to me, your, your strength spent, thinking that you have failed, ready to quit. But is this really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back is sinewed and brown. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure and your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much and your ability now far surpasses that which you used to have. Yet still you haven't succeeded in moving the rock and you come to me now with a heavy heart and with your strength spent. I, my friend, will move the rock. Your calling is just to be obedient and push. and Exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. And this you have done. If you are discouraged today, don't lose heart. You, like me, are a disciple in process. If you are abiding in Jesus, he is working and you are growing. And I think this little parable reminds us of that reality as well. It takes time. But maybe what is most encouraging is how this little story tells us that discipleship gives stability. For the storms are going to come on the wise or foolish. And you know, the longer that I live and the longer that I am involved in ministry, the more I... I find it harder to deal with the storms. <laughs> I keep praying, God, no more storms. There are too many people in our church family that are dealing with difficulties. I'm tired of it, Lord. So much that we are enduring. It doesn't get easier the older I get. It feels like more of a weight. But we live in a world that is broken from sin. And so it's going to keep pouring down all kinds of nasty, violent, atmospheric disturbances in our lives. It's just the reality as we live on this earth. Which is why it is so important to be a wise builder. Because then your life is founded on some rock 
solid promises. Like ones that the prophet Isaiah wrote about. Like how he said in in chapter 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Or in chapter 28, how he says, see, I lay a stone, he's quoting God, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes in it will not be shaken. Or in chapter 40, where it says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Or in 41, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or in 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Those are the promises that become a reality in our life when we choose to be wise builders. About 20 years ago now, there was a pretty nasty storm that came raging through my family's life. Many of you are aware of this, my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And every third Friday, she had to go in for chemotherapy treatments and, of course, dreaded it. Some of you, unfortunately, know from experience that kind of dread and how each treatment brings more and more uh, difficulty and wears you down. And it really started to wear my mom down. But as hard as it got for her, she began to notice something. Every Friday that she had to go in for treatment, God seemed to give her something to help her get through it. The first came when God gave her a scripture promise in her morning devotion time as she was reading in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17, that says, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. And then that very same day, she received a handmade laminated bookmark from somebody with the exact same verse on it. Another Friday, she got an orchid from a women's group that she had been a part of in California, even though they were living in Texas at the time. The next treatment Friday, she received a call from someone she barely knew who wanted to come over and bring her something. It was a handmade quilt that took her almost a year to make. She said, I didn't know whom I was going to give this to, but God told me this morning to come and bring it to you. These kinds of things kept happening until one particular Friday when my mom was feeling especially low after treatment. Nothing happened. My mom began to get angry with God because she really needed something that day, but God didn't provide. So she went to bed a little disheartened. The next morning, my dad woke her up and told her to go out and look out the front window. There in the front yard was about a hundred plastic pink flamingos. Now you may think that a plastic pink flamingo isn't something very special, but when you have about a hundred of them on your lawn, it is quite an amazing sight. And around the necks of each of those flamingos was a letter or a verse or a note of encouragement of some kind. All of this didn't miraculously take away the cancer or the need for tough chemo treatments. But it reminded my mom that whatever storm we go through, God is right there with us. In fact, my mom often liked to say, God delights in reminding me that he is here. I don't know all of the storms that are possibly 
raging in your life today. But I do know that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are not weathering them alone. That no matter how violent they get, you will not be shaken, swept away, or burned. But you will find help and strength, even perfect peace, as you are upheld by the mighty hand of your God. You will find stability. Not just temporarily, but the kind that lasts. The storms, well, they they come and they go. But the rock stands forever. So we build our lives on Jesus, not just to weather the storm today, but because one day soon he is coming to make all things new and make sure that no storms ever come again. And so we are building for that day as well. So please, please be a wise builder. Don't settle for a life that's convenient or shallow or shaky, but choose the one that is costly and deep and stable. Make the foundation of your life the person and the words of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you gave us of coming down here and giving your life for us. Our commitment now is to build our lives on nothing else but you and your words. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.